Welcome to the Next Generation Podcast, where we help business owners connect to their profits and earn their freedom. Join us as we discuss ways you can grow your small business, build your wealth, and help others along the way. Here's your host, Dan Cotton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Next Generation People and Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cotton, and today we are going to be changing up the format just a little bit. You're going to be hearing a special interview between one of our owners of NextGen, Rihanna Luck, and a phenomenal person and resource in the cheer community, Ken King. Ken is an expert in the field of mental blocks, and in this episode, he and Rihanna sit down to unpack some awesome lessons that can help you avoid mental blocks and overcome them with athletes that may already have them. So without further delay, let's get you over to the interview. Hello and happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the uh, Next Gen Connection here with myself, Rihanna, and I've got a special guest on us uh, with me today. Uh, so I'd like to welcome Ken King to uh, the Next Gen Connection here. And we are going to be chatting a little bit about uh, mental blocks and all things around that kind of topic today. But before we dive in, um, I figure we should probably introduce Ken. There's some He's uh, presented at one of our conferences in the past when we did the virtual conference um, and uh, has been involved in our gym for, it's probably like over five, six years now in some capacity. Yeah. yeah. So Ken is from uh, Boost Innovation located out of Calgary and has quite a diverse background. Do you want to fill everybody in on kind of your background? Yeah, thanks for having me. And I I started in high performance coaching on the basketball side, and I spent about 10 years in that role as a head coach or assistant coach at various levels with men and women. Then I went into doing some private consulting and training and performance and, and touched a little bit in inclusion and diversity at the same time. And then we started what was then the Boost Institute and is now Boost Innovation, where we use tech and data to measure and build culture. So we, we really felt that culture is something that could be built more effectively with data than it than most or really anybody is doing right now. And that's that's how we ended up in the software and data game that we're in. And it's it's cool. It's fun. And, and we get to have we get to have a lot of exciting conversations in very different worlds, whether it's politics or whether it's business, whether it's sport. And, and then obviously with Premier, we've been able to blend business and sport up quite a bit. So it's cool. Yeah, it's been really great. And so you're probably wondering, well, why in the world would I have somebody who has absolutely no experience in cheerleading whatsoever come in and talk to us about it? Um, and I think it's always really great as an industry for us to have some outside people come in and take a look at what's going on um, and have that kind of bird's eye view and uh, give us some fresh perspective on uh, some things that have been status quo within our industry or way that ways that we've been operating um, for a long time. So it's been really great to have Ken come in uh, and work in our gym. We've had him come in and work specifically with some of our teams and with some of our coaches. Um, originally, it was we focused a lot on um, the concept of the growth versus fixed mindset um, and building. He had created some really great effort charts for us in the gym as well that uh, we need to get back up and running and using again. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been, it, we have seen a lot of growth from our athletes and our coaches and even our parents too throughout the years from the work that we've had an opportunity to do with Ken. Um, so uh, when he was here last, this is probably what, two months ago, I think, uh, or a month ago-ish, that he was here doing some uh, additional training with our staff and I had mentioned something about um, the whole concept of the mental block on how it's such a uh, highly used term within our industry for across all ages. Um, and you were kind of floored by that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I, I can come in Coming out of left field, like you said, like from outside the industry, pretty passionately on this topic, because uh, I think I probably was a little bit overexcited about it even when we were talking, just because I, it blows my mind how commonly it's used. And I, we work in culture, and it's like there's a culture, from my experience in cheer, of throwing the term mental block around like it's an appropriate term to use, especially with youth athletes. And it's, it's really a culture of offloading in my opinion. And, and offloading is a term we save for when somebody's taking the responsibility or blame for something and putting it onto something else. So in many sports, we see it as, oh, that's the ref's fault. I would have scored a goal on that player. It's my coach's fault for not putting me in at the right time. Or in cheer, I think we see it a lot. Parents get offloaded on too, and coaches get offloaded a lot on too, where an athlete blames a parent or a coach for mm -hmm. something not going right. Or they just offload their emotions onto that person bad practice equals treat mom bad. And, and those things happen far too much. But the, the thing that really blows my mind, and as I continue to learn, it's, it's clearly industry-wide is the term mental block is like a free pass to offload the responsibility for you being incapable of doing something right now onto this like unicorn fake word that is out there in space and say, well, oh, I just can't do that. It's a mental block. And it's perpetuated by coaches and parents and athletes. And I think it's really, really dangerous in terms of being able to achieve the highest possible potential as individuals and as an organization. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I one thing that you had mentioned when you were here last time when we were talking a little bit about mental blocks uh, and related it more to... so. I, being a block, a brick in the wall, where it's immovable and you can't, it, it can't go anywhere, where, which is not really the case with probably 99% of the kids that are struggling with, and in, for the most part, it's tumbling skills um, that are struggling. And it's more of a mental hurdle. And so I think that as, as individuals within the industry, either coaches, gym owners, parents, athletes, um, we need to find a way to do away with the whole concept of the mental block and the use of that word. But now is there a way that we can, what, what's your recommendation? How can we change the verbiage around it? Is it mental hurdle then that we use, or is it kind of what, what type of thing should we be doing instead? Yeah. And, and we, you and I talked about mental hurdle previously, cause I just, I love the way that that shows a overcomable, I don't know if overcomable is even a word, but <laughs> an achievable, <laughs> an achievable challenge. The hurdle exists. It's there. I'm not, I don't go under it. I don't run the other way. I go over the hurdle and I've got to figure out how mm -hmm. I like that. I like that imagery, but uh, I use a lot of Trevor Reagan from Learner Labs work in, in all my work as well, because he's a friend of mine. And I would recommend anybody check out his stuff, because that's where a lot of my growth and fixed mindset um, videos and stuff like that, I share his stuff all the time. 
And we used some of his work the last time I was there with you to talk about the Pygmalion effect. And I think that this is where this is where the culture of learning can make a big difference because you can call anything anything. And if you have a culture of learning, people are going to try to get better constantly. That you can, whether it's whether it's a growth mindset culture, whether it's a culture of learning, as if we see ourselves as learners at everything and not good and bad at any one thing, then regardless of what we call something, it becomes achievable. The scary thing for me is that the difference between an immovable object like a block and then putting the word mental in front of it, if you don't have that really high tier learner culture, mm-hmm. it's it's literally saying go away from that object. Because if there's a wall in front of me, I don't try and go over it or through it, I go around it. Mm-hmm. And I avoid that tumbling skill or I avoid that stunt. Um, or if it's me, I would avoid, even though I know the athletes like it, I would avoid any of the dance portion because that would <laughs> I actually would probably, no, I'd probably feel avo- better in tumbling. You'd <laughs> avoid the handstands too, Ken. <laughs> well, I, I did get my first handstand two years ago after four years of starting <laughs> to try them at Premier. But yeah, but yeah I, I do think that it's it's just that gamble. Like every time that mental block word gets thrown around and because it becomes accepted, it's really dangerous mm-hmm. uh, unless you have like what... I don't believe to be truly possible is a perfect culture. And I don't think that's a real thing. Yeah. So you're banking on having this probably non-existent thing if you're going to throw that term around. Right. So I know that there's a few people, a bunch of you guys that are watching. So if you have any questions specifically, or if you have any kids that have really struggled in this regards, then post uh, a quick comment on there and we can touch on it as well. Because here's an opportunity to pick somebody's brain that has some good experience in this as well um, and some good education in there. So um, what if there was a kid in the gym that either the kid came up, the parent came up or... Uh, yeah, the kid or the parent came up and said, I'm having a mental block. What's your suggestion on how we proceed with that? Instantly. So from, from my perspective, I know, I know you're asking from a coach or a owner perspective, but from my perspective, I'm initially like, why do they even use that term? Right. Like that, that's actually my first question is why do we have a culture where that's an appropriate thing to say? Um, and I think I said to you not to, not to kind of revisit the, t- the term itself, but I said to you like, that term's reserved for people who, like, if Michael Phelps went to the Olympics and jumped in the pool and started to drown, Michael Phelps is suffering from a mental block. Yeah. You not being able to tumble that day when you could have done that skill the day before is not a mental block. Yeah. That's that's not an appropriate use of the term. So when when that term comes out, my first thought is, why is this accepted and what can we substitute that's going to be more effective to create a learning mindset? Mm-hmm. And legitimacy is a really important thing in leadership. So when we see things as legitimate, and that doesn't just mean good or bad, it just means like factual, reputable, recreatable, those kind of things, we, are t- we tend to gravitate towards that. And so in leadership, that comes from knowledge, authenticity, empathy, and connection most of the time. But for an athlete, if you are giving legitimate, or sorry, for a coach, if you're giving a, a term like mental block legitimacy, mm-hmm. like this is a real thing and you get to call it this, then that is perpetuating the ability to offload. And that's not how people get better. Right. So the next question would actually, in my mind, would be to ask the question, can you call that something for me besides mental block? Like, what is it really? Can right. you, and if they're, if they're young, and I know a lot of, a lot of gyms have very young athletes, it's like, 
you can you can answer that question for them once they struggle with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if they can come up with their own word, like, yeah, it's not. And you can explain block using that wall analogy really easy. Like, is it yeah. is it a block? Is it something that you can't go through or go over? And they'll be like, and obviously you're trying to get them to that answer of, no, I think I can get over this or I can get through this. It's like, well, can you go through? And kids will come up with all kinds of mental bubble, mental, like <laughs> things that are breakable, thing, mental, even mental window, not ideal, but better because you can at least see through it. You get like, the more that we see that inability to perform something as something that we can overcome and change and believe it the more the more likely we are to actually grow and improve and the more it connects to that individual person mm-hmm. the more likely they are to replace a habit which currently i believe is using the term mental block as a habit more than anything right right yeah and going back to it being you say offloading but it's kind of for in general terms and ex- an excuse right mm-hmm. um yeah that's really great um and i think one of the things that we typically revert back to when um we believe or an athlete believes that they're having a mental block is reverting back the the first thing that we do is not necessarily change the terminology and focus on on what they're thinking and saying to themselves and what we're thinking and saying to them and what their parents are doing as well, but revert back to the skill side of things. Okay. Well, you're not doing a a round of handspring tech. So then what can you do leading up to that? Do you think that that is helpful as well? Or should we focus more so on, on what they're saying, we're saying their parents are saying? Yeah, I think, there's, there's a term called unlearning, and it's often used in the context of poor habits that or poor mindsets that we need to unlearn and, and, and learn a more correct or more appropriate way of responding. So whether it's terminology, whether it's, whether it's around uh, racial if, issues or anything like that, there's a lot of unlearning work that we all need to do. Right. Um, but in the context of skills, I'm a big believer that we don't unlearn skills, we unlearn confidence. At some point... Right. Our, we we didn't we didn't forget how to do that thing. Our, our literally at a cellular level, our body can still perform it. Yes, but at a macro level, our minds and our bodies are not connecting to get it done. So so loading or laddering skills that are we do have confidence and competence in to get back to that point makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. But also also reps lead to confidence, and reps with right. success lead to confidence. So. If you change the definition of success on certain reps, so maybe if it's a tumbling skill, maybe success isn't performing it beginning to end exactly how it should. Mm -hmm. Maybe success is that one portion and becoming laser focused on a hand, a foot, a twist, a a whatever, Mm -hmm. in order to in order to find something that exhibits success. And then as a coach, having the discipline to continue to hammer that success over and over and over again, and then find the next little success and the next little one and not get distracted by what, what many would see as an unsuccessful performance of a skill. But instead it's like, that was successful because this is all we're focusing on right now. And that, and then it's kind of like the, well, but, but I didn't, but I felt, but no, our success today is you doing this right. And tomorrow it's going to be you doing this right. And a week from now, you're going to be back to performing it exactly where you can because you've had reps with success, which leads to confidence and competence. Right. Yeah. 
it's a big education piece, I think, for not only us as, I mean, I think that as coaches, probably we're a bit more educated in, in this regards, hopefully, but uh, for the coach, sorry, for the parents, and then for the athletes too, um, on how they have, how they can change what they're saying and doing as well. Um, and I think parents, they don't realize the gigantic impact that they're having on their kids' performance as well. Absolutely. And, and you and I have and managed this and talked about this multiple times where a lot of our training we've intentionally done with athletes, staff and parents mm -hmm. to really create a holistic environment, ideally, that, that that is repeating and recreating similar responses and cues for the athletes themselves. Yeah. And I just had a discussion during the training I was doing a couple of weeks ago in, in another gym about how there's somebody was asking like, yeah, when we talk about it in that practice and she gets it and she's all in. And then the next practice, it's like it all went out the window and she's doubting herself again. And it's at, and, and the, the mental block, again, they're using that word right away, is back. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and it is challenging because unfortunately, two hours a day, three, four times a week or three hours a day, three, two or three days a week or whatever the setup is, yeah. they're, they're with somebody else or a group of somebody else's more often, friends, teachers parents or, or yeah. family. Yeah. And the more holistically you can get that attitude spread throughout that, that person's life, the more likely they are to actually buy into the reality that they are a learner. They can get better at anything. And every time they put, they put unnecessarily unnecessary blocks in front of themselves by labeling them that way. Yeah. It's not appropriate. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think I'm going to snag that uh, YouTube video that you had done or shared at our staff training too about the Pygmalion yeah. um, effects too and, uh, and post it in the comments with everybody um, because it was quite impactful and I, it had me really thinking about um, not only how I coach um, but then also how I parent too. <laughs> so for those of you guys who are uh, gym owners, coaches, and also parents, it's going to take you, it's going to give you a few minutes to, to uh, an opportunity to kind of think about your parenting skills. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and, and one of the, one of the key parts to that is it's not just about verbally or in writing, putting these labels out there. Yeah. It's, and so mental blocks, a perfect example. If I think an athlete has a mental block, even if I never say it to them, I'm going to, I'm scientifically going to treat them differently right? because I've internally labeled them as having that block. Yeah. And so as leaders, we have to be aware of even how we're labeling people in our own minds. And we all do it as coaches. Yeah. Uh, the, the kid that doesn't put forth a lot of effort, the staff, the staff member that never has a good attitude, all those kind of things. We may never verbalize them, but they're in here. And now we subconsciously treat them differently and we set them up for a lower bar because of it. Yeah. Whereas if we can, if we can find ways to verbally in writing and in our own minds label with more of like a learner, high growth potential kind of side, and it takes time and it takes failure. And, and unfortunately I'd, I'd be making millions of dollars if I could do it in like a one live video session and yeah. make that happen for people. <laughs> but it, it takes, it takes consistency. And I, I think one of the, I, I said this in my last training, I can't remember if I said it when I was with you a month or so ago was, is that 
most of the reason why these things fail is lack of discipline from coaches and, and owners. Right. That's, that's just the, it's not because the, the athletes are not capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. And as much as we would like, it's not because the parents are poisoning the well. Yeah. It's because of a lack of consistency from the coaches and the owners in actually, in actually standing by and making, to come back to legitimacy, making those things legitimate in the, in the culture. Right. Right. Yeah. It reminds me in your comments about that whole, the whole self, self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. There's a couple of comments on here. Uh, Justin had said, this applies to martial arts, muscle memory, repetition, confidence is gained by repetition. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, and in all sports, Justin, like it's, it's every, every and all of life, like yeah. you, you repeat stuff, the more reps you get, and the more times you see success from those reps, the more confidence you have, but you're less likely to see success if your rep count's low. Yeah. So at some point, and Rihanna, you and I have talked about this, like as much as possible, I think in cheer, we should be rapid firing certain skills. Mm-hmm. Just go again, go again, go again, go again, go again, go again, go again. Because there's going to be, yes, there's failure and there's fatigue factors in there, but the likelihood of them seeing success goes up just by pure math. They're, yep. they're getting more reps, so they're going to get more successful reps, so they have better odds of feeling confident. What is, I can't remember what it is now, uh, but isn't there kind of the, uh, and I don't know how applicable it is, there's been some research and there's the concept out there that you need to put in a certain number of hours or a certain number of uh, reps in order for you to become a math. And I, I think it's probably too generalized, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I th- it's learning is super individual yeah and there we all know those people who have just attempted something and yeah. then like on the third try they get it yeah and and by the 10th try they're already doing way better than somebody that practiced it for ten thousand hours or something yeah. like that yeah. so the steadfast rule around practice i always kind of it's a little cringy whenever i see that on social media and stuff because it's just like you're effectively promising kids that it, the more time they spend in something the better they're going to get and to an extent that's true, but there's quality of reps, there's feedback loops. There's a lot of factors that go into yeah. learning anything yeah. and just saying like, well, just, just fail at it for 10,000 hours. Yeah. You're going to learn a lot and you're probably gonna be better than when you started. But one of the first things anybody who knows anything about mastery says, um, and, and on that note, I would recommend the finding mastery podcast with Michael Gervais because mm. it's a killer podcast. Um, he's the, he's the performance psychologist for the Seattle Seahawks, Nike team USA, Navy seals. So he knows a good chunk about what he's talking about. Sure. And every single guest he has on there, I'm not, I shouldn't be so exclusive. The majority of guests he has on there say mastery is a journey, not a destination. You can never get there. So if that's true, which I believe it to be putting like a 10,000 hours or a hundred thousand rep count on anything there's no end. So how can you say that there's, sure. it's, it's all just about continuing to have the attitude, the mindset and the learning approach that's going to get you there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wendy said, would you su- suggest this YouTube video could be shared with families of athletes? And that's the YouTube video that I was talking about, um, that you had shared. And yes, absolutely. <laughs> I actually took it and shared it on all of our, um, team pages and stuff. I'm not hundred percent sure how many parents actually watched it. I know that there are a handful of them that, uh, that did watch it and commented on it and stuff. So definitely do that. I think it's, um, sometimes we, for 
forget, uh, not necessarily forget, but um, we're so athlete centered in our coaching and education and stuff like that, that we need to remember that we also need to be educating the parents, um, knowing that they have such a big impact on their kids um, outside of the gym and, and then their performance within the gym too. So the more that you can provide educational opportunities for them, the better your kids are going to be, the better uh, your teams are going to be and stuff. So, yeah. A uh, uh, anecdotal thing I've noticed for sure is that parent, and I'm not a parent, so take this with a grain of salt because yeah. I, I, I might say something different years from now. But I believe that many parents and coaches, and I am a coach, and I can, so I can say that from experience, stop learning and growing when they start parenting and coaching. There, there's just you, you get you're 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 in repeat mode, you're in survival mode, you're in like that kind of thing, and. I'm actually speaking more to the coaches and that, and I, it made me think of this when you said athlete centered, like, yeah, we should all be athlete centered, right. but athlete centered doesn't mean you stay the same and you don't find new ways to right. describe a mental hurdle or you don't describe, right. you don't find new ways to, um, build confidence in athletes or in yourself. Like, how's your confidence? That's, mm-hmm. that's, I, I just, in the training uh, that I was doing a couple of weeks ago, I said to, I, a coach brought up a point. And there was so much frustration about this athlete. And I said, well, when did you stop getting better? Right. Because, and, and then there was just like awkward silence and maybe a little bit of tears, but it's like, you, I get it that you want this athlete to keep going, but, but when did you decide to stop learning? Or when did you just accept this? Cause that's all, that's all they're doing yeah. is they're just, they're just modeling that what you've made legitimate. They've, they're right. modeling that legitimate behavior. And then on the YouTube video front, Trevor Reagan stuff, the Learner Lab stuff is excellent. I was for a while, our company was going to try and start. We were trying to do videos and that kind of thing. And then, I, like I said, Trevor's a good friend of mine. I just kept seeing his stuff come out, and I was like, forget this. We're just going to use Trevor's stuff because it's yeah. it's unbelievable. You can't go wrong with any of his videos. Yeah, so good, so good. Uh, Danielle yeah. said, "Can you talk about how age plays a factor in all this? For example, the benefits of not competing until a certain age." So this goes to uh, the long-term athlete development concept. Yeah. I think could be a whole other kind of conversation as well and it's uh it's interesting that she brings that up because actually within canada um sure canada has been working a lot on creating a long-term athlete development plan um for here so and i'm really excited to see because it's kind of gonna it goes against almost everything that we're doing for young kids in the cheerleading industry so anyways what's your thoughts ken (laughs) yeah i definitely probably could be a totally separate chat just because like and i have i'm here because i have the utmost respect for cheer and Mm -hmm. and what everybody involved does but i will say this that the pd side is lagging behind in my opinion and by pd professional development yeah yeah and the for context i guess we we did long-term athlete development in basketball soccer hockey volleyball in mm-hmm. 2006 mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, that's i know so so that's where that's kind of my first thought which is that like just there's going to be a huge adoption thing and like you said it's going to challenge a lot of people's mindsets yeah but it's really important stuff it's really good stuff and in my opinion because i stand i do stand by a lot of the principles of the long-term athlete development model it's that cheer has athletes competing way too early mm-hmm 
and way too much emphasis on competition. Mm -hmm. And I can take the strong stance because I'm not a part of cheer. So I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of emails and education <laughs> from people after this. But my question just becomes similar to swimming, dance, gymnastics, figure skating, other sports where we get people really specialized in competing at an early age. How long do people cheer for? And I, I, it's, I, and it's not a dig. That's not an insult. It's just, don't you want like my cousin, who's a minister in the Anglican Church, and she's in her fifties. She still cheers out in Montreal. Right. And she's cheered her whole life. That's cool. I didn't know that. But there should be way more percentages of people doing that because yeah. it's not. It's but the mindset is it's a competition. You compete to be the best you get to this certain level where all the best are. And then after that, bleh. yeah. And there's ways to get people in a sport that I believe to it's an important sport. It's a challenging sport. It's a, and mo maybe most importantly to use this word again, it's a legitimate sport. Mm -hmm. And because it's legitimate, it can be used for long-term health over a lifetime. If the, if the PD changes and the attitudes change and, Dropout happens early because we specialize and compete too early. And mm -hmm. I think that's an important thing that I hope comes out of this development because I've been following it fairly closely. Yeah. Um, and I really hope that, that that's understood and that you'll be able to keep people in the sport longer if yeah. they compete later. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, Wendy had also said uh, we took our teams back to basics and even lowered some of our levels to get mastery of these skills, even though they're working on upper level tumbling skills. So uh, we're making sure they have perfection over progression um, first in all categories before they can move up. This live is hitting straight to this point for us. Can't wait to share this. <laughs> cool. Then, And the only thing that I would probably layer onto that is I, and, and this was my first year. I actually think it's been like seven or eight years that we've yeah, been working right. now. Like, I, I, I should pull it up and find out for sure. <laughs> we had the year and a half, we had the year and a half chunk out there. Cause apparently there was a pandemic, but, yeah. um, I don't know if everybody watching knew, but, um, <laughs> the, the one thing on, on top of that is I realize that perfection is the goal based on how competitions are scored. Like that, that has to be the outcome. But the question that I would ask just to challenge that, that the way that you approach achieving perfection is you can make goals that you're confident will create perfection without making perfection the goal. And that's a, it's a very important distinction, I think, especially the younger you go, because the more you chase perfect, the more it's very, it's very high risk, high reward, mm -hmm. right? But the reality is it creates attitudes of perfectionism that are really mental health wise, quite dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So we can pursue, like, for example, in my world, which is basketball, and I know I'm sitting, but for those people, like I am sort of, I'm, I'm six foot five. So if I was standing, usually people are like, oh yeah, basketball, big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but what we often say is these are the three things that we are confident are going to lead us to winning this game. So we're going to hone in on just those three things and trust the wins will come. Right. And I can tell you right now, I still can't name a time in, in my career that we we've lost plenty when we haven't done those three things, mm -hmm. but I can't think of a time where we've lost and have done all three of them. So if you as a coach can pick, these are the three things that are most likely to lead to perfection in terms of performance of the skill or this, 
or, or maybe at an entire competition, these are our three things to focus on. Mm-hmm. That's a much healthier attitude because it's much more processed than outcome focused and it mm-hmm. develops better habits for cheer and for life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just got about eight hearts when uh, you were talking about <laughs> I that. can't see so, the hearts. So No, <laughs> they just came, they came across the screen. <laughs> So <laughs> I think that hit home. Danielle said, yes, so good. Don't chase perfect, chase goals. Yeah, so good. Um, and when you're saying pick three things, um, how broad or how narrow focused should those be? Is it skill-based? Is it like what type of, because you've been there. You've been, a, he's been to competitions, guys. He's been in it's the true. venue. He's seen it. He's worked with teams. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's... So the first thing is the younger you go, I would go even, I would go to one thing. Right. Like I've, and, and I think that that's the more mature you get, you can max out at three, but nobody's, nobody can focus. Very few people can focus on more than one thing right now. And I can probably make a good case that nobody can focus on three things leading up to performing a skill or performing a competition. Right. And what I would make those things is make those things controllables. They have to be something that that athlete can actually choose to do or not do, mm. which is why we've always talked about effort. You can always choose to put out effort. Right. They can choose to do proper breathing skills beforehand so that they're more present and in the moment and able to trust their skills that they've practiced thousands of times over. Mm. Those controllables are really key. And, and you can get more specific, like maybe if it's running into something, making sure that they're running in full speed. So that they're not losing any of their kinetic energy or anything like that. So um, I don't want to go further than that in terms of my cheer coaching knowledge, but I just like, there's, there are things that you can choose to do and not to do. And then there are things where the outcome has been pre-decided by how you practice them. Mm -hmm. So the more controllable those things can be, the better for sure. And then from my experience in competition settings, and I've seen this multiple times, don't coach a single skill on competition day. Mm -hmm. Like that's, I just, you can't teach a skill the day of. You taught the skill the months leading up to it. And the worst thing, again, the younger you go, the worse this can be. The worst thing you can do is right before somebody goes, make sure you do this or make sure you don't do this or make sure you hold this long enough. Make sure you make sure when we when we're dancing that you do it on this count, not this count. Like right, right, right away, all my in the moment, just going to let my skills go out there and show them with confidence and put forth max effort. All that's gone because I'm like, oh, God, I'm so worried about messing up this one thing that they said I had to do or couldn't do. Yeah. So it's like a competition day in my mind is confidence, 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 relax, confidence, relax, confidence, relax, have fun. Let's go. That's that would be my pregame speech in a nutshell. <laughs> Perfect. We'll just record that. <laughs> <laughs> I well, I have to say I have for sure been guilty of right before they go on. Remember to do this yeah if they don't remember it's because they didn't practice the right way yeah and you yeah. can't change it the day up they, yeah. a, a good colleague and friend of mine once said to me and i still don't totally understand what this means uh the hay is in the barn and your expression is exactly how i felt when i first heard it but that's i think about that all the time now it's like the hay is in the barn the doors are shut everything's done for the day all you can do is let the farm do like exist Oh, that's what competition day is. The hay is already in the barn. Everything's done. I'm not saying that I totally connect with the metaphor, but I think of it all the time. Man, I grew up on a farm and I did that. (laughs) That didn't connect. 
Well, I don't know that he grew up on a farm, so he might have made it up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, well, yeah. that's good stuff for sure. Um, awesome. Okay, so if there's any other questions, guys, then post them in the comments. But uh, if anybody wants to touch base or get some more information from you, pick your brain in any way, shape, or form, how can they connect with you? Uh, boostinnovation.io is the best page to go to website-wise and awesome. Ken at boostinnovation.io. And where it was funny, just as a bit of a closing, the last time I was going out to do some training, um, I was filling up the gas station right by my house and this car pulls up to the pump beside me and it's got, I'm not gonna say the name, but a logo of a cheerleading gym on it. Oh. And the lady comes up to me and she's just like, are you Ken King who works with cheerleaders? I was like, I'm a Ken King. <laughs> I've worked with cheerleaders, uh, but um, we, you and I have talked a lot about how I think that there. It, I always feel super, super fulfilled and like I actually have some kind of impact when I work in the cheer community. So the more that I can do that, the better, because it's, it's honestly everybody's always been so great and so receptive. And I'm going later today. I'm taking off on a plane to go do that again. So, um, yeah, I'm always happy to work in the cheer world because it's, it's always been a blast. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for hopping on here, Ken. It's been great. Uh, and uh, key takeaways, I think, guys, we need to kind of change as an industry as a whole, individuals within it, coaches, gym owners, athletes, parents. Let's stop using the term mental block so freely. Let's, uh, let's find a different term to use, whether it's mental hurdle or whatever it might end up being, um, and uh, start providing some education to not only ourselves, our coaches and parents and athletes on, on that kind of stuff. So we'll post a few links in the comments when I'm done here that you guys can go ahead and share um, as well with uh, anybody that you think might benefit from it. But uh, yeah, thanks again for hopping on today. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Next Generation, Connecting People and Profits podcast. If you love this content, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and head over to our website to sign up for our emails with tips and tricks on how to grow your business.